Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morse, and I'm happy that you've tuned in today. We are going to be looking through 2 Samuel chapter 2, and it is a lengthy chapter, and I'm going to read the whole thing, so sit tight as we go through this and give us some context uh, before we start diving into it. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter 2, starting verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinaam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and they were anoint- and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong, and be valiant. For Saul your lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manaheim. And he made him king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth. Saul's son was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Menahem to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeriah, and the servants of David went out and met him at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young man arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Ilkath Hesarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Esahel. And Esahel was as swift as foot as a wild gazelle. And Esahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked back behind him and said, Is it you, Esahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Esahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, 
And as the sun was going down, they came to the ill of Amma, which lies before Gaia on the way down to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up their pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants nineteen men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down, had struck down of Benjamin three hundred and sixty of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Okay, super long reading. That took a lot of our time. But it's good to get that background in case you're not able to read right now. We, we've, we've read through that together. So let's talk about a couple of points here. Uh, one great thing we get right from the beginning is that David is still consulting Yahweh. That's very important. You know, you've got to follow David's story up to this point. He's been through a lot. Saul is now dead. There's this point where he can finally become king. And just because he is coming into kingship, coming into this power, he hasn't left God. He hasn't put Yahweh off to the side. Rather, he is still consulting him before he makes any big decisions. This is actually David's second anointing. And there is some typological significance to that. Uh, kind of the three phases of David's kingship and maybe how that correlates to our three phases of our Christian life, maybe even the three phases of Jesus's ministry in the spirit. There's a lot of cool typology there. This is the second um, anointing here. Remember the first one was done in secret and that's going to play into a little bit of what happens later on in, in our chapter. The fact that God tells David to go to Hebron is, is a big deal as well. Um, if you are at all versed in the Old Testament, you know that Hebron is an important city. Abraham has had some dealings with it. Uh, it's mentioned in the book of Joshua several times. It is a land where giants once lived. Uh, Caleb ends up inheriting it at the end of Joshua. Uh, and, and it's just kind of had this really big history behind it. And, and this is where uh, God tells David to go to really begin his kingship. So a, a pretty big deal here. It's not insignificant that Hebron is mentioned. In verse 10, you have really the first division of the kingdom. Uh, Ishbosheth is kind of made to be king over the majority of Israel uh, at Abner's word. And Abner isn't really doing anything evil here. He isn't subverting the power of David. Um, like I mentioned, and like you know from 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, David's anointing happened in secret. It wasn't something that was done in front of everyone. Not everyone knew that David had been anointed. So it makes sense. At Saul's death, someone comes along, a man of political and military significance comes along and says, okay, hey, Saul's son will now be king. The fact that Abner is a man capable of making people king and did not make himself king shows that he's 
um, not a prideful person. He's not a power-hungry individual, uh, we could assume. Rather, he's simply displaying his loyalty to Saul at this point, and that in Saul's death, his, he's placing his king on the throne, placing his son on the throne. Uh, Judah uh, takes David as their king, and David continues to rule over specifically Judah for the next seven and a half years, while Ishbosheth only rules for two. Um, verse twelve gets into the really weird scene, but actually, you know, really interesting as well. This kind of epic fight between Abner and Joab's men. Abner, you know, working for Ishbosheth and Joab working for David, both as kind of their military leaders, commanders, uh, second guys in charge. And really what takes place here is like a miraculous battle. You know, it's something that if you had witnessed, you would say, okay, something bigger is at work here. This isn't just a regular old fight. Um, And what should be pointed out is it wasn't a fight. Uh, You can imagine kind of the scene. They're gathered around this pool and the two commanders are are sitting there. Everyone is in a relaxed state and uh, you know, you kind of have this area of truce, you know, no, everybody knows no one's going to engage in any warfare. And um, Abner suggests, hey, wh- why don't we participate in this sport? Um, the word compete is used there in the ESV. Um, the Hebrew word means sport or competition. You know, it's meant to be like this friendly, almost friendly competition. And, and you can maybe kind of envision that they're trying to see who the real sons of Abraham are. You know, the kingdom is, in a sense, split to the, the northern and the southern tribes already. And, and so it's, hey, who who is the real, who are the real leaders? Who Whose king is the true king of Israel? Why not have some of our men, uh, you know, compete and, and whoever wins will we'll kind of know now. And so they both engage in this sport, this competition, and immediately turns bloody. You can also see that there might be this... Um, evidence of of them trying to see who the the true sons of Abraham are and the fact that they that both men choose 12 individuals to fight for them like the 12 tribes of of Judah of, of um, Jacob uh, 12 sons of Jacob and uh, so maybe there's some of that behind there that um, there's ulterior motives in in participating in this game so oh again it's a miraculous event where each um, opponent takes his opponent and they both stab each other in the side with their swords and so all 24 men fall down dead at the same time like how creepy would that have been and and no doubt if you'd been there you said oh what is going on here but that doesn't even seem to come up in the minds of the men uh immediately abner retreats and runs off and he's pursued but this might point to something bigger here and it's it, it might be kind of this typological instance where it's showing what's going to happen to the kingdom of Israel. Uh, It's going to split. They're going to come uh, and fight one another, but ultimately they're both going to die. Both tribes will be uh, defeated and taken off into exile. So that is, that's it for this uh, epic fight, this miraculous fight that takes place. Um, Maybe something to point out here is is Zariah. Uh, The name isn't very popular. It's really only mentioned one other time in First Chronicles 2.16, but it's of importance because it is actually the sister of David. Uh, we don't get that from the account in Samuel. You have to go to First Chronicles to get that relation there. But Zariah is the sister of David, and her sons are Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. 
And, um, and so these are David's nephews. His commander-in-chief, his number two guy, is his nephew. So Asahel pursues Abner. Abner warns him two different times, hey, uh, you need to back off. Uh, he doesn't, and so he kills him. And, and you can see that this isn't uh, an instance where it's necessary um, that a, an avenger of blood come, like, uh, in, like would be dictated in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, uh, Abner doesn't need to go to a place of refuge uh, because Abner did not murder him. He did not kill him. This was a matter of self-defense. You see that in the way that uh, Abner doesn't actually stick him with his spear. He's not turning around trying to kill him. He simply butts him with the back of his spear, and uh, and Asahel kind of runs through it. Um, and, and this is made possible because more than likely they would sharpen their spears, even at the bottom, down to a point in order to stick it in the ground well. And so um, entering into a human body would not have been that difficult. And the only reason this fight doesn't break out is because Abner gets uh, the high ground. He gets up on this hill and speaks out to Joab. And Abishai says, listen, uh, should we really resort to just a kill after a kill after a kill? In other words, shall the sword devour forever is the more poetic way that Abner puts it. And so um, I guess you know by having the high ground, speaking some wisdom in the moment, Joab realizes what's going on and, and decides to back off. Joab isn't done here, though. This isn't just a quaint ending. Uh, Joab um, is now out for blood. So we'll see that play out in the rest of the book. So hope this has been a good study. Hope this is kind of preparing our minds for this Sunday specifically in, um, in, in Chris's sermon coming up. So I hope everyone's having a good week. I pray that you are looking for ways to love and serve your neighbors in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love. Thank you.